So, all right, uh, I'll just go ahead and open it. Welcome to the Off the Road Again podcast. My name is Chris. My name is Ross. And g'day from Australia. It's Joel. <laughs> this is our podcast about anything and everything off road. And yeah, welcome, Joel. He's from the future. Welcome. It's Thursday where he is. Yes, it is. Closer to Friday. Thursday afternoon here in um, sunny Australia. What is the sun? <laughs> we don't see much of that this time of year. And you said it was it was twenty two earlier. Yeah, so it's like what eighty five. Yeah, twenty two currently. It's uh, quite a nice quite a nice day, but it's supposed to be hotter today. I think it gets uh, goes hotter as from tomorrow. So uh, we're getting into the high mid to high thirties. I think from tomorrow. Okay, I know thirties are yuck because that's like over ninety. Yeah, I take it. I take uh, it. Yeah, well, I remember running that whole math equation when you're actually visiting the States for an Aussie is always fun. So when we were there uh, in 2017, we um, we figured out that 100, about 104 is 40, which is what we've had for mm-hmm. some of summer here this year. So, yeah, it's uh, it's always fun. Yeah, that's yeah, a that's lot. Gross. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd take 90 degrees Fahrenheit right now. We're, uh, we're supposed to have temperatures like below zero Fahrenheit uh, in the area this weekend. Well, that should make uh, just take the Miata out with the roof down. I think that'd be fun, wouldn't it? <laughs> My, I mean, yes. Mazda recommends not putting the roof down below like 35. Because so, it'll freeze and not go back up. I don't know. Something with the mechanism doesn't like to do its job the best when it's sub freezing. I don't know. I've done it like below 30. It's fine. <laughs> if you get down below zero Fahrenheit enough, it may get minus 40 Fahrenheit and minus 40 Celsius are the same temp. Ah. Well, there you go. Hey. It's that middle school science teacher for yes, you. Yes, that is that. <laughs> <laughs> you can keep minus 40 Fahrenheit. I want nothing to do with that. Yeah, nobody wants that. <laughs> that's why that's where they match up. Nobody wants it. <laughs> Fair enough. So we're going to start off like we regularly do with the news. And literally, as soon as Ross and I stopped recording the last episodes, I, I found a link to more spy shots. Hyundai this time, not Ford. Yeah, not Ford, not a GM product, not a Dodge. It's a Hyundai Santa Cruz, which the concept debuted in 2015. It's 2020. And it's not due till 2022. Right, yeah, we're not going to see the actual vehicle for sale for two more years, but it was caught winter testing, I'm assuming in Michigan. Presumably. Could be, uh, could be overseas. I do like to test in Europe as well. True. It's not Santa Cruz. We know that. <laughs> it's funny that you say Europe because I think it definitely looks like the discontinued Mercedes X-Class. Oh, my God. In profile, it's almost the same thing. But is it based on a, uh, what do we call it? Um, Navara here. So that's what, um, yeah, that's what it's been based on. The X-Class is based on our Navara. Oh, the Nis- it's a Nissan, right? Yeah. Right, so X Class is based off the Nissan. The Santa Cruz is supposed to be based off their Santa Fe architecture, but man, it it looks like from the side profile, it looks a lot like an X Class. It yeah, does it's the cladding, I think, on the front they put on it. So, but it's exciting stuff. Like I'm I'm excited to see it because they reckon that it's coming here, uh, and that's really cool. Not that we don't need another Ute in the market, but I do know you. I think that'll it'll probably sell really well. I think it'll do okay. I mean, we have to go under the pretense here that it's more of a Ridgeline-esque competitor than like a full-on Tacoma fighter. I, the Santa Fe is a front-drive-based 
architecture. So I'm, I'm thinking more in the vein of Ridgeline, but happy to see it coming. It depends on what, what you know, what levels they go to in terms of whether it's going to be, it's kind of like the Hilux here. It's, they sell, if you look at sales numbers of Hilux, the, and same with Ranger as well, they do a two-wheel drive and a four-wheel drive. So if it's going to be sold in both platforms, it could, again, it could break into both those markets. And Ranger and Hilux are the biggest two selling units in the country here. And <laughs> I think that could be for Hyundai. If they bring out a two-wheel drive and, and it, it's a similar price and concept to, to the other two, it, it could do really, really well. Right-hand drive. Yeah. So... It'll be interesting because it, it looks like we're going to build them here in the States. I don't know if they'll do like another plant in Korea because they're going to build them in Alabama, Alabama to avoid, God, what I think is just referred to as the chicken import tax. <laughs> oh, so that's still uh, going. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I think that's so, sadly still there. To protect American trucks, they're going to build them here in the U.S., in Alabama of all places, uh, where they also build the Santa Fe at the same plant. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Split production line, maybe. Yeah, powertrain options look like either a uh, naturally aspirated 2.4 liter inline four or a turbo version with a smaller engine, uh, but the horsepower numbers are like 50, 50 HP more. So Strong enough. Yeah, as, as long as there's both options, as long as there's a petrol and a diesel, I think that, I think, I mean, particularly for us here, I think it's... Diesel. Yeah. We won't see a diesel. There's no chance. No, it's just that market's just not, not set for it. We're, we're here. It's a staple, really. Mm -hmm. How do gas and diesel prices compare? Uh, per you do per liter. Per so liter, yeah. How do they compare? They're pretty similar. Diesel's generally a little bit cheaper um, hmm. than what petrol is. Um, it just depends on... I mean, because we've got so many different levels of petrol probably almost mm. i think similar to what you guys do in the states we do a, a 91 a 95 and a 98 octane and then there's oh, wow. also e85 uh, <laughs> yeah can, can you see how big my eyes are yeah you have a 98 octane from the yeah. pump that's what i run in oh my, my car my daily i run i've run 98 octane most anything high performance <laughs> or anything that is kind of european generally will run 98 mm. or 95 as a minimum um, oh my god yeah that's my car's happy when it gets 93 yeah 90 93 what we have 87 89 and 91 yeah. right i it's usually only 89 or 91 there's yeah. a rare occasion of 93 and then you talk in my 25 year old land cruiser <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know it's insane but it's it's pretty amazing to see what um you know what we what we get out here can i was talking to the guys over in the US years ago and they were talking about, you know, tuning cars. It's like, well, imagine if you brought it to Australia and we ran Octane, which was, you know, sort of five, you know, run higher than what, you know, what you're running. It's, 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 it's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why Haltech's where you guys are. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Let's tie up the Santa Cruz real fast. It's nice to see it. I remember when it came out as a concept. I thought it looked neat. Uh, I, I think it had like an extendable bedside, if, the, if if I remember correctly on the concept. Like something the actual when you put the tailgate down, the actual bedsides could extend out. I feel like I remember that being a thing. Uh, 
yay. Yay. I, I, something about the concept reminded me, didn't Dodge do a concept a few years back? It might have been called Rampage, and it was something similar in the way the bed and the body were two in the same, and it almost had a mid-gate, mid, a Chevy Avalanche mid-gate kind of contraption where it folded. Yeah, I don't know. The only only Rampage I know from Dodge is from the 80s and horrible and very Radwood right now. Oh, so Radwood. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yes, they did. They did a Rampage concept in 2006 at Chicago. It was 2006? Yeah. Wow. It's like I still lived in Florida. I didn't even have a license. <laughs> I didn't have a driver's license. I wasn't old enough. <laughs> oh, God. Now I feel old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, Joe. I forgot to tell you, Rob uh, is like a teenager, or not, Rob? Sorry, Ross. Rob. Good lord! Yeah, yes, I'm not a teenager. Um, oh, not the old man brain tonight. <laughs> we'll have I'll to... be 29 in a couple of months. Not a teenager. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, I feel old now. Uh, talking about that concept, if we, we should stick some photos in the in the show notes, but um, it's got <laughs> it's very Tesla truck with the ramp on the back, and it's got a sliding uh, like a minivan door in the rear. So that's very cool from the rampage. No, it's um, it, it's it's cool. I think it's uh, it's very different. But yeah, I think that flatbed obviously has been around uh, around for a while. <laughs> Let's move on to what debuted last night as well. <laughs> as well, uh, immediately the, after we ceased recording. Yeah, the Cadillac Escalade, the twenty twenty one, the final form of the recent. And newest GM full-size SUVs. So yeah, I it's it's a car or no, it's a truck. But like, uh, people will buy it. Right. I mean, people don't walk into a Cadillac dealer and buy an Escalade based on any specific statistic or specification at all. It's it's sold based on cachet and merit and uh, and being the Escalade. So it kind of doesn't even really matter. No. I think it looks better than the current one. It's been tweaked ever so slightly, I think, and it's a little bit cleaner at the, the front. I think the headlights are a little bit nicer as well. I'm going to disagree. Yeah? I think it's, yeah, I don't think fussy is the right word, but I, let me pull up a picture and... God, great, great audio for uh, for, for the audience. But I th- well, while you while you compose your thoughts, I will tell you that I I think the new one looks it looks better than the suburban with its Silverado front end. Yeah, definitely better. True. True. I, I, I think it looks better than the current Escalade now. Like I I look at this one and I go, all right, that's that's re. Sadly, I, it's a weird word to use. It looks reasonable to me. It looks like what an Escalade should. Well, they brought the. I... Go ahead, Joel. They brought the headlights back. Like the headlights from, if you look at like an XTS or something like that, they had those long headlights. The headlights now are much cleaner. That front end's much cleaner. So I wonder if that's got something to do with aero or whatever, because it is, you know, it's a pedestrian it's, crash standards. Well, that that too, you know, <laughs> cost of fixing those lights, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. if there's accidents yeah. and whatever else, it's you know, it's a. It's a nicer, a nicer, cleaner look at the front end. So it's definitely cleaner. I just think 
it's almost too minimalistic. I think the existing and outgoing Escalade kind of was the epitome of what the Escalade should be, like big and bold and in your face. And I think they tried to pull it back a little with this. And it, for me, it just doesn't... It, something is just off. I don't know if it's the proportions of that lower piece of painted body, you know, beneath the grill or the portion to the sides, but it looks like either the grill is just not big enough or too big. I can I can't exactly figure it out. Well, it's not BMW big. No, no, God, no. <laughs> that, did you see the picture that came out today that was posted of the single BMW grill? Yeah. Not, not, it's not kidney grills. It's kidney grill. It's better than the last concept, though. The last concept that they had, I think, this is much nicer. It's cleaner. Low bar. I, on the Escalade, I like there's a version with uh, horizontal like pieces across the grill where it's not just like the 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 black mesh behind it, mm-hmm. and I I I think it it cleans it up like that also adds like some silver cl- trim on the side, so it's not the full floating roof. Right, uh, that looks far better than the sport quote unquote sport trim, the one with the black grill and the float yeah, and the, the just total floating emblem. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It need, it it, need, it needs something. The floating grill is is a bit weird. Looks like a Mazda grill. <laughs> you well, know? if they light up the Cadillac badge too, that'll be that would be, be sweet. Cool. Yeah, that. Oh be- fuck, please no! <laughs> oh god, no! <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> You know, it is cool, though. The glass on the rear hatch pops open. Haven't seen that in a while, at least not as far as I know. Right? Hasn't the Tahoe Escalade Yukon rear glass been fixed? Uh, it's split, um, is it, on the new one? Yeah, I think you can... It looks like you can pop the glass like the 90s SUVs. That's cool. So we uh, we had that 2003 GMC Yukon XL, and my, my dad had it before we did. And I want to say we owned that truck for maybe two to three years before dad ever went, what's this black button on the back do? And he realized how to <laughs> pop the glass. <laughs> we were open that whole lift gate up. Yeah. Well, I had a 2004 Tahoe and it had barn doors. Those were the best. Just the two dual swing out, you know, instead of the hatch, it would go. Have you, you guys watched Silicon Valley? No. Nope. Okay, then. My joke won't make any sense at all. Okay, moving <laughs> it's on. It's too stressful. <laughs> Speaking of Mazda, the infotainment controls on the new Escalade kind of look like those on Mazda. Like those from the entire Mazda lineup with the circular controller and that little volume subset controller just in front of it. It's basically two dials. There's one large dial to control everything on the screen, and then there's one smaller dial about an inch ahead of it, and that controls volume, and I think that's really it. And Mazda so, has the exact same style setup. Does that mean it's not a touchscreen? I'm inclined to say it is a touchscreen. I mean, I, w- I would kind of actually appreciate it more if it was just knob-controlled, but... Because touchscreens to me are still so frustrating. <laughs> oh, they're Even though all of my kids assume every screen is a touchscreen <laughs> now. So. 
poking away at a computer like no <laughs> or swiping the yeah, yeah exactly my my boss's laptop is touchscreen and when he's looking at something on mine he'll reach over and put fingerprints all over my uh, monitor like, what are you doing thanks like, for that <laughs> you need a fly swatter don't tell him i said I that. <laughs> <laughs> no i won't I, I like that job but yeah no so i mean lexus in its most recent rx change the screen to a touchscreen and it doesn't help because it's you have to lean like a foot and a half away to do anything. That's why I have so, the the buttons down next to the console. <clears throat> right. Right. So, yeah, I think that's enough Escalade. We've talked enough about Tahoe and the Yukon, and mechanically it's pretty much the same other than uh, having Cadillac badges on all of the, all the parts mounted to it. Um, Diesel Escalade's cool, though. Diesel Escalade's cool. The image that has the green light on the top of the steering wheel, mm-hmm. is that Super Cruise? Like, that is Super or Cruise. What is... Oh. He doesn't even have a hand anywhere near the steering wheel. Like, They want you to think you can do that. <laughs> that, thing, that gives me anxiety, and I know the picture's fake. Like, I know. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Guy's hand isn't even real. Well, because you know he's going to be turned around to yell at somebody in the back. <laughs> and that's when the system will fail. Well, not, even, not unless he's an uber black driver. We'd be sitting there quietly just driving. True. <laughs> Can't say anything. Could be both. Fair enough. All right. Let's go to our next topic, which is way cooler than the Escalade. Oh, my God. So much. So Bradley Brownell just tweeted out this photo today. Uh, and it, it it's magical. It's amazing. It's uh, awesome. <laughs> it is a collaboration uh, 991 Porsche 911. It's a Turbo S hybrid safari car between Vaughn and Kelly Moss recently. Yep, that's about as good as a 991 gets. And a new one, as opposed to everyone doing the older ones like mats and whatever else it's uh it's pretty impressive to see someone doing something very modern in that realm yeah i i looked up the the stats on the on so vonin is the aftermarket uh hybrid company basically for late model porsches they have uh an electric motor that you can fit down in there and there's a small battery pack and it's 150 added horsepower all right that's awesome it's a ton. So, and Brad wrote up uh, a big old piece on it. You can look up Vaughn and Jalopnik, and it'll link right to Brad's piece about how the system actually works, how they develop it. It has three uh, modes of power delivery. It has like a round town, and that has a sport, and that has like a full out track mode. And Brad said in the in the first two modes, if you go more than, and I'm going to get these percentages wrong, it's either a quarter or a third throttle. In the around town mode, that's when it adds some hybrid. And if you go in the sport mode, it's half throttle. And he basically commented, like, you don't want it at half throttle. Like, mm. you're you're not going to be, or I guess he said you're not going to be using half throttle that much. So it made sense to use the other system. And it never ran out of power on him. It was always kind of regening and, and providing more boosts. 
seems like the pretty ideal way to do like a half street, half uh, gravel, you know, rally stage. Uh, It'd be great as a tarmac car. Yeah. Be cool to see. Be interesting to take on something like what we have over here, which is there's quite a few tarmac rallies and Porsche are quite big in that. So it'd be cool to see on on that. Um, but even some of the you know super special stuff that they do it here, and uh, it'd be cool to see on. Yeah, I just I'll I'll definitely put the picture up in the show notes because it was when it came up, and it doesn't even look like the tires have that much like aggressive tread to them yet, but the car just sits a little higher. Uh, and if you haven't looked up Kelly Moss stuff, they are very similar kind of to like Matt Ferris Safari car uh, and what um, Joey Seeley did with the, the Luft autos. Um, but And they have a lot of like 964s and 993s that are Safari out too. They got one with a rooftop 10 on it. <laughs> Brad. Yeah, it looks like it would be a blast just to rip around in the desert in for sure. Yeah, I wonder cool. what the... What driving a 911 with a rooftop tent on the highway is like? What is that arrow? I mean, I bet it's not much worse than transit vans or... Eh. Is it a parachute? <laughs> like, is the thing trying to take off? Can't be good. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Can't be good. All right. I mean, that's... That is how a wing works, right? It's lower pressure over the top because the wind has to travel farther than below the wing. But it's so square that it's just pushing it up. It's right. not continuing over the flow over the top. I guess it depends if the tent is flush with the roof or if there's a gap. The one I saw, there was a gap. Okay, so it's uh, it's downforce. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, the opposite wing. Yeah. That's pretty cool, though. I, I'm all for the rally and safari porsches and i mean all four hybrids so this is if i won the lottery this would not be too far down the list well and and brad said like he'd be he's pretty good pretty much convinced that kelly moss would let him drive it and then i looked up kelly moss and pointed out that i was way closer to them than brad was (laughs) and then robbie immediately chimed in robbie DeGraff, and he was like oh they're in my backyard (laughs) of course damn it of course Robbie, who is close to nothing, is close to this. Yeah. So, okay. That's the news. All three pieces of news that happened over 23 hours, 22 hours. That was a lot of news for that short amount of time. Normally, (laughs) we collect that over about a week, so. Seriously. All right, but let's, let's really talk about why we're here tonight. That's right. Joel, so <laughs> all you, man. <laughs> Far away, boys. Great. Okay, so our guest of honor this week, Joel Strickland. <laughs> so tell us about yourself. How long have you been with, at, or contributing to Hooniverse? I was trying to work that out the other day. I think I've been around since not long after the beginning. So when we're doing the 10-year stuff recently, I think I... I chimed in within that first 12 months, I think. I'm pretty sure. Um, wow. I was going through some old emails the other day, but that's only sort of at the five-year period. But yeah, I think it was about about 10 years ago that I, I kind of I got involved and, and started talking to um, 
to Jeff and having conversations and, and just trying to start putting some content out there. Um, I actually had a look the other day and there's some, yeah, some old, some old stuff from back in the days. I think it, there was bits and pieces that I tried to combine when I uh, add in when I had time and stuff like that. But then there was also, um, I always try to get involved for, um, for Hoon, for Hoon Cotty, uh, generally when there was something cool to, to put in there and whatever else I could combine. I think, um, yeah, anything that was sort of interesting that was coming out of Oz, uh, it was, you know, I'd always talk to Jeff. It took me five years before I finally got to catch up with him. And it took me seven years before I finally got to go on to the, the Hooniverse podcast as well. So <laughs> at least I got on before he put it into hiatus as yeah. well. So you're one of the OGs, one of the Hooniverse OGs. I wouldn't say OG. I'm probably one of the original internationals <laughs> more than anything else. <laughs> Fair enough. And how long have you been shooting pictures and doing car videography? So I started, literally, I started my business when I left school, um, showing my age, back in 1996 was when I left school. So I, I registered my business name that, that year and I worked for a fair percentage of the time as a freelancer. Um, and then I left, Ho- I was born in Hobart, which is that small little island down the bottom of Australia that people generally forget about and a lot of maps forget about at times. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, it's this small little, it's where the Tassie, famous Tassie devil is from. Um, and it's a very small state. Um, but my, my first thing I wanted to get out, like, you know, wanting to get to the big scale. So it took me about five years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I was born in, born in Hobart, uh, home of the Tassie devil. Um, I wanted to get out. So I moved to Melbourne in early two thousands to work as a sports photographer. So I worked, uh, as a sports photographer for a while. And then that was a full sort of 18 months. It was quite funny. I was chatting to a friend the other day who lives in the UK, who I met at the Australian Open in 2002, and that it was, you know, you know, eight years ago that him and I caught up and, and were, and it was the last time I sort of shot tennis at, at the Oz Open, and it's just kind of funny how much things have changed. And so I gave that up and went into working um, uh, as a sales rep for a while, but then my business built started building again here in Melbourne. So... Yeah, I've basically been working in the automotive space for, for quite a period of, of time. Um, and yeah, like I evolved effectively from motorsport back into automotive. Uh, and now most of my work is um, in the automotive space, but also a lot of corporate work as well. And then it's grown from being stills to being video to now being drone uh, related as well, because I'm fully certified drone operator as well. Nice. See, Russ, when are you going to get yours? It's two-thirds <sighs> of us have it. <sighs> Someday. It's, Someday. His drone work is way more fun than my drone work because mine's buildings. His is automotive. Yeah, well, That's the, true. the cool one that I did the other week, I haven't shared it on Instagram, but I put it on my, it's on my Facebook and on my LinkedIn, um, is videoing a drifter the other week. I had to fly to Adelaide and, and work oh, with awesome. um, Jake Driftsquid, uh, who's this... Um, young up-and-coming drifter who has a thousand horsepower BMW with an I'm pretty sure it's an RB26 uh, cool. on it and it is the most awesome car um, so we had to film some stuff for one of his sponsorship announcements so yeah it was literally flying the drone 
um, on this skid pan. Like chase style? No, it was literally he was coming in to where I was and I was rising up and shooting straight down on him doing circles. But kind of like what Ken Block's done with his stuff, we kept moving to make sure that every time we filmed it, we had clean, no lines. So mm -hmm. the skid pan yeah. was only so big. So we had to keep moving down and we run out, ran out of space, but it was lucky we, we got what we needed. The video looks fantastic. Client was happy. Um, and then I got Jake to just cut sick and, and have some fun so I could shoot some stills of him. And yeah, it's, uh, the smoke this thing produces is just amazing. That's so, pretty cool. So yeah, that's cool now being able to combine uh, photography and video and, and drone stuff. Um, I've flown drone for a couple of my other clients doing bits and pieces and yeah, trying to do more of that over, over time is, uh, is cool. It's something a little bit different. That is See, pretty now cool. I want to have an entire conversation about drone. <laughs> 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 like now I'm super curious about how restrictive and how hard it was to get your certification. It's that. really hard. Oh, well, sorry. It, they're very certif certification is not hard. You just literally have to pay the money and, and go to a, a, go back to school for a week. Um, five days of classroom, uh, half day of practical, and then a two and a half hour 70 question exam at the end of it. Um, I'm pretty happy I scored over 90%. So I was pretty wrapped for, for someone who hasn't studied for a long time. It was uh, it was pretty cool to, to go back and actually, and when you've got something and you've got a passion for something, you'll throw yourself into it and force yourself to, to learn it. But um, yeah, here in Australia, it's, it's quite... Um, it's quite hard to fly in certain states. Um, I've got a friend that's asked me to do some stuff of a property. The problem is it's right on the edge of what's called, which is a, an, uh, um, an air force base um, out, out in rural Victoria. So I have to apply for permission to fly. So, um, yeah. which is not a problem. I have my license, I'm insured. So I, they have a process. And as long as you know the process and you follow the process, it's it's generally pretty good. And I don't think it'll be a problem. I, I, I've just got to pick a date because I have to inform them that I want to fly at that location. Right. But um, in a lot of other areas, it is quite severe. There's a lot of guys that have been fined and, and guys that, um, that either didn't know the law or chose to ignore it. But, you know, for those that want to follow the rules and, and, and work it within the line, it, it's it's fine. I mean, Sydney Harbour is the, the hardest area in the country to fly because of seaplanes and stuff like that. And it's very restrictive and you have to fill out forms and stuff like that. But that makes sense. It's There's lots going on in that in that place during the day. So um, that's that's probably the hardest place to get permission or flying close to an airport. That's the other thing that you, you need to have permission and stuff. But being licensed, you know, I went through the process. I had to be assessed i have, have a two-hour phone call with with a delegate from casa which is like our hmm. um i don't is it ntsb i think it is for you guys over there i think casa is um is our civil aviation authority um but yeah they, they have a delegate that is charge of, of questioning people on their license and i went through it fine no no dramas i had to do a mock set up and but the to, once you set up now the technology to actually do your permissions is brilliant i've got a piece of software that i use which is a crm software and i literally sit there and i put all the details in i put in who's who i'm working for do a risk assessment all that sort of stuff it creates this beautiful pdf document that i can send to the client or the site and say this is everything you need um and it's good you know i've got that now and so certain people i know that don't have them i'm available to help them so yeah, it's 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 cool. It's cool to be able to have that ability to say that you're fully licensed now. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting how still much yeah. 
how our process is still so much like the Wild West. Like, <laughs> yes, specific areas you do need the the permission to fly for around airports and stuff like that. But like, uh, getting that permission can be archaically long. They want like a ninety day lead time. I I barely know what I'm doing three weeks from now, let alone three months from now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes it hard. Like you know the. Even sort of the um, the defense force is three days ahead of time. You need to do it. That's fine. That's easy to do. But there's other places that you know that might take longer in terms of timeline. The councils are the hardest thing here in here in Australia. A lot of them either don't understand it or have have made blanket rules to make it easier. So there's a in my state there's a couple of people that in a similar group that I belong to that are working with the councils constantly, trying to help them, teach them understand the process so yeah it, it makes it hard but with a lot of stuff that that we do we're in areas where it's not a problem you, you've got with the last couple of ones that i did that were quite large we we're on private property so as long as you've got hmm. the venue's permission it's it's not a problem so you know as long as you're following the general rules um it's you know it's pretty easy to do the right thing I sat through a, a drone law seminar recently for here in the U.S. and like it was really interesting to under understand that how the the FAA and the government views it is as long as you're in the air, a property owner can't do anything about it. Like you obviously wouldn't want to be like irritating someone on purpose, and I know we're completely off topic normally. <laughs> uh, but I, I, there are a lot of guys that run off-road stuff that also take our drone hobbyists as well. So, like, that's that's where the I see the collaboration here. But, like, mm-hmm. being in the air over someone's property once, there's no there's no violation of a law for that. But, obviously, if you're repeatedly doing it, the uh, the way the, the U.S. laws are written, like, the property owner cannot take any action. They have to call the authorities to then report what's going on. And so- if they do take action... It's always the the legal case that will then come out will always uh, right now currently with the laws we have find in favor of the drone operator, not hmm. the property owner. Because that that's good for Amazon when their drones start taking shortcuts over <laughs> people's lawns and those people start shooting them down. That's <laughs> because they don't own the air above the property. Right. Right. You don't own your air, just the land. Correct. Unless you're the federal government, and then you have a <laughs> cylinder above all of your airports and everything else. Yes, and yeah. You own the air, but yeah, as private citizens, nope. At what height or altitude does that stop? What do you mean? Is it once you get out of our atmosphere and into Oh, for like, where the federal government owns it? <laughs> yeah, it's just uh, forever, I just think, a cylinder? I think it would be up to where the... Um, uh, the airspace is is international airspace. Well, no, what yeah. what the airspace level is. So if it's what class it is. So you know, here in Australia, we have class A, class B, class C, and then we go into huh. G, G, which is more open air. So outside of towns and stuff like that, it'd be the same situation. I think once it moves into the airspace that is then controlled by air traffic control or whatever, then it would be owned by, well, not owned, but controlled by them. I think it's uh, whatever the highest range of the missile defense system is. Uh, that's that's the top. Probably that's the. If you're above that, you can do whatever you want. That's why we fly <laughs> over everyone's countries all the time. Fair enough. So let's get back to Joel and talking about automotive things. <laughs> four wheels, not four rotors. 
Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I went through your photo website earlier today, and you have to tell me the story behind the Aston Martin wreck. Oh, that one. The crash? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So that is from um, a a round of the Australian Rallying Championship from quite a few years ago. They decided to run it at um, a racetrack, but the racetrack is out in the western suburbs of Melbourne. So it's 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 not really rural, but it's regional, I suppose you could say that it's away from um, the CBD. So it's quite a large property, but around the edge of the property there were roads and stuff like that. So they decided to run part of the track out through what was effectively like a boneyard, you know, all the leftover bits and pieces from the track. And then it came back in to part of the old, it's like an old NASCAR dome in the middle. And then there's a racetrack okay. off to the side. So they used parts of it. So this was on, they'd come around the bowl and then they put these massive concrete bollards up for the guys to move through to uh, trans, trans onto another part of the track. And the Aston had oh. come around the corner and, had drifted out so wide that I think he touched the grass um, and literally it then he lost the back end and it flung him around. It had been raining, I'm pretty sure, so there was still a bit of water around and it flung him around and he ended up flying up and hitting the um, concrete barrier and literally destroying, tearing that Aston open. Oh, yeah. Yeah, those those two shots together on your your profile are just... It looks like a bad situation, <laughs> but it looks He's having a bad amazing time. on how frozen yeah. it is. Too. Yeah, I just happened to be lucky to be there. It appeared in the paper, um, I think the local paper the next day, because the guys that were running the media for the event got them off me and uh, and ran that. So yeah, that was uh, that was pretty cool. Were the drivers injured? Driver? Yeah, I don't know if pilot. But... I think the driver went to hospital. Uh, I can't whether he broke something, but he was okay. And then I think the passenger. I think was okay as well. Both of them, both of them, you know, literally were okay. But I think there might have been a broken, um, broken bone on one of them. I'm trying to remember, but it was, it was a pretty minor. Ago. Yeah, very, very much so. Um, Considering yeah, the violence of when you compare the image to what he's describing now, you're like, no, that's not. They're both <laughs> dead. Yeah, he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. That was probably one of the, um, probably one of the biggest wrecks that I reckon I've ever photographed. Uh, in terms of what what happened, so so sweet. Let's uh, let's talk four wheel drives because that's what you guys call it. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're not four by fours. They're four wheel four wheel drives. drives. Technically true. Yeah. So I cool. I haven't owned one, but I've driven a lot over time. Um, growing up in Tassie, you know, there's some good roads and stuff out there. My uncle had owned one and, and done a little bit of stuff with him over the time, but it wasn't really till I moved to Melbourne that I started doing sort of more or more just to photograph it. I went off-roading with some friends of mine in their Land Rover to photograph that. Uh, they had a Discovery. Um, I think it's a Series 3. Um okay one of the big square ones probably around about circa 2005 era okay um, high roof yeah it sounds so about a high right. roof yeah. one yeah high roof one definitely yeah and um he put it up a lift kit and everything in it and it was brilliant but that was a fun nice. fun day and, and taking that out with him and his sister and excuse me photographing that um was really really a lot of fun um which was which was which was which was cool it was it was really really 
cool to get out and just like getting it lifting wheels and stuff like that so it actually featured in a four-wheel drive land rover calendar um and the pictures have run pretty much in some form or another in a land rover calendar pretty much almost every year for the past five or six years so that Very stock cool. has uh, has done well in that respect so the client that i shot that for has just kept selling i need to go and do it again i need to find another one there's been a couple around that i've seen um but yeah that was uh i've, so I've never i'm about to probably hopefully buy cross fingers my first full drive um nice which nice. i hope to do pull the pin on in the next few months um so yeah i'm excited by that uh, what are you thinking uh so <laughs> it's effectively the new version of well sort of almost the new version of jeff's car so it's called okay. a mitsubishi pajero sport so Rad. it's not a um it's called the shogun in europe and it's called a pretty sure uh in other parts of the country i think in other parts of the world particularly i think south america um it's called a montegro um and yeah it's so it's it's a smaller version of the pajero um mm-hmm. but it's based on the triton ute so a lot of the suvs here in australia are based on their um ute family member mm-hmm. so like the fortuna which is toyota's um suv based on the hilux um and then obviously the um the everest which is based roughly on the ranger um here which we were Ford. talking about yesterday yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's that's I'm I'm kind of excited um, uh, with the stuff, some of the stuff work that I do, particularly with a lot of the assisting work that I do, uh, assisting other photographers. It's just handy to have um, to be able to go off road and stuff like that. Mm. Um, So yeah, just having a car that I can take anywhere um, is more the (laughs) more the the interest than anything else. So Mm. is it? Because it's the sport, does it still have four doors? Yes, so it's a it's a four door, effectively a four door wagon. Um, it's full, yeah, full four four by four. Um, we I have low ones range, a, yeah, low range as well. Lock diff, very nice. Um, cool, seven seater, uh, two point four diesel. Um, but it's one of the rare cars in the class that actually has paddles for gear selection. Huh. Um, what well, is it? Uh, just a standard automatic transmission? Yeah. Um, okay. Can't remember whether it's, I think it's an eight speed from memory. Um, but we had one as a rental car about 12 months ago. I did a job uh, here in Victoria and uh, I was working with another photographer and I rented one, something actually rented something smaller because I didn't think I needed it. And they gave us an upgrade to this and spending a full, like the previous gen I didn't like. Um, I don't know what it is about the new one. I think it's just finished better now that it's a seven seater. The, the rear cargo space is just nicer with the extra seats in it. I don't know what it is. It's just better better finished. Um, but this thing is just, yeah, it's great. Um, drives well with the paddles. Um, so, yeah, very, very impressed. And then there's just been a, a major upgrade on it as well. So, um, and it's cool. I wish they sold that here. <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting car. I'm surprised that, um, it, yeah, it's sold. I think it's, again, built out of Thailand. So, like our mm-hmm. Ranger and Triton and something else, I think, are all made in Thailand now. So a lot of them come out of Asia. Um, but yeah, it's bit, they're very big in Asia because um, mm-hmm. it's quite a large market for them. But I'm intrigued to see um, 
Yeah, I don't know why it hasn't. They don't make them in for the states. I'm guessing they only do them in right. I don't know what they do them as a left left hand drive. I'm sure they do them as a left hand drive. We, we just we have so many other SUVs. Yeah. That Mitsubishi literally is. It's Mitsubishi's dying yeah. in the states. Like it just it's been dying. The biggest thing they have is now the Outlander Cross Eclipse or Eclipse Cross. Or that, well, Eclipse Cross is the, that's there's, horrible. There's an Eclipse Cross. And Which then is, there's, um, yeah, there's an Outlander and possibly an Outlander Sport. I don't know. It's been five years since I've been on a Mitsubishi site. Yes. Yeah, so in terms of that, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's big in our market. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it go. The new one goes. I'm in a Facebook group um, with a bunch of guys that have been talking about them for a while, and there's one guy that's just done a mod. He's just put a, a aftermarket exhaust from the cat back. And it sounds like a petrol engine. It's unbelievable. It sounds amazing. <laughs> so I've been watching cool. what that is. And then, then there's potential to tune it as well. I know a diesel tuner in Melbourne that I might talk to. And there's, a, there's lots of guys modding them and stuff as well. So it's quite interesting to see the market. And, and is it a body on frame truck or is it unibody? That's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest. Wondering so, what the potential for like I, lift in 35s is, you know? Well, there's a lot of guys I that lift think them, it, so yeah, I think the lift... Um, I think it is body on frame because I think... Because you said Pajero Sport, correct. right? Yeah, I think I did... Mitsubishi came out with an ad, God, last year, I think, talking about their new version of this, and they referenced all of the old Dakar... Pajeros that they had, uh, and I just I read a lot of stats on it at the time, and I'm fairly certain it still is body on frame. And now, of course, I'll probably be wrong, but like <laughs> in my brain, I feel like that's what was there. I think you might be right. I'm trying to remember from from theory from because is is Land Cruiser? Uh, yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that I think it is. Even the rumored 300 series is still body on frame. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about that. Us too. Also, this thing looks pretty good with the lift. Yeah, there's quite a few. I've got a few pictures saved on my phone that I've uh, seen that the guys have modded them out here um, with lift and stuff like that. They actually look really, really good. Um, do. It doesn't tell me with some of the spec I was looking for. Um, I thought it might have mentioned... Mm-hmm. Layout. Oh, there you go. It's big in Japan, Thailand, China, Brazil. And it, it still has the Exceed trim level. Yeah, that's the top of the run. Just, the one that I want. <laughs> just like the Delicas mm. that we're now getting in the States. Yes. <laughs> 25 years later. That means in 25 years, Chris, we can buy a Pajero Sport. <laughs> yeah. So it's called the Montegro Sport or the Shogun Sport in the UK. Uh, built assembly in Thailand. Indonesia, Russia, and Bangladesh. Isn't isn't part of this line also, there was like a, it was a different brand. It was still this model of truck, but it was like the Jackaroo instead. Jackaroo. So that was the uh, <laughs> Jackaroo, which was built on yeah. the, what was it? I thought it was the Montero. Yes, it basically. was. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, it was the model after Jeff's, I think. Yeah. Okay. Because there was a couple of generations of them. Oh, no, Suzu it was based on. Oh, oh that's what it was. Because it was the Honda that 
Honda mm-hmm. made that did that transfer with a what was a Jackaroo here the Trooper that they made an MDX of yep. Yep. was based is is based on the Isuzu version so okay the Acura XLX oh. is was Holden Jackaroo here and they actually HSV even made a, a one a version of it as well so so yeah, yeah I just Jeff's, wanted Jeff to call his the Jackaroo yeah his is yeah. based off a Isuzu tro- Trooper I believe so hmm. yeah. So they're Pretty very, cool. very Pretty similar. Cool. Yeah. So it's like Ford made a um, spin-off of their of Nissan's Patrol called the Maverick uh, back in the day here in Australia. So you had a Ford Maverick and uh, and the Nissan Patrol. Have Wait, you so, have you Googled what a Ford Maverick looked like here in the states? Though? Yeah. <laughs> Not the same. It's, it's two no, very, very different. Things. That's a, it's Seriously. a hatchback, isn't it? The Maverick, or was it a small sedan? No, no, it was like a horrible '70s, like wide, big boat of a car. Yeah, it was. Ah, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. Not particularly good. Yeah. So somebody's actually, gonna yell at me for that, but I actually passed one the other day on the road. I haven't seen one on the road in years, and it's like, ah, oh, it's a Maverick. You don't see those every day. Yeah. So oh. how how stringent are like talking about like old like we have Radwood coming back now. Yep. All those cars are like thirty to twenty five years old now. How stringent are Australia laws for keeping classics around? Um, pretty good. Like we, particularly in Victoria, where I live, there's um, the 25-year rule for um, club plates. So if you buy something, and I've been looking since Brad started Redwood, I've been looking for something. I need to buy something. Like I've got a mate that's got a cool old Celica, um, which is 70s yes. era. Um, and oh, Awesome. I've been looking for something to buy and anything about the rule, the, the minimum rule is it has to be 25 years old because I can stick it on club plates and pay very little for rego. I can only use it. Okay. So that's like classic for us. We have classic plates yeah. and your insurance drops, your registration drops. You don't have to pass inspection or admissions, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So Victoria is not too bad in terms of an emissions thing. Unlike what you guys have in the States, Sydney, New South Wales is a bit different. I think they have, it's more of a stringent thing. You've got to have, uh, it's either a green slip or a pink slip you have to have passed every couple of years whenever you have it registered. So that's a little bit more difficult. But the classic registration plates or the historic plates in some other states, as it's called, is, um, is, yeah, is great because there's so many um, different cars that are out there that are over 25 years. You can use them 90 days a year. Um, insurance companies will cover you for effectively because you're using it less um, and stuff like that. So yeah, the classics, um, I went to a show the other week in Ballarat, which is a country town north of uh, Melbourne, and there were all kinds of stuff there, but all, you know, you see stuff now and it's like, wow, that's on classic plates. That's, I can't believe that's 25 years old. You know, it's, mm. yeah, it's, it's amazing. So um, yeah, I think uh, that, that 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 classic car mentality uh, Australians love them uh, and um, and yeah you see now and now now you're seeing more and more cars that like SUVs and or four, four by fours mm. and Utes and stuff classic stuff that's on club plates because people are, what kind of classic four by fours do you see uh, there was a beautiful make us drool <laughs> uh, well for for Chris's sake there was a beautiful Land Cruiser that I saw um, oh. the other week that you know I try to remember what year it is I think it's because yours is 90s Chris isn't it yeah 94 so this is probably late 80s um, 
which was rectangular one yeah it was really cool um there's been a few guys i've seen that have got utes like hilux older hiluxes there was a guy with a um they're on my facebook business facebook page um the all the photos from that event but there was a nissan um the name escapes me but a nissan ute that was on classic plates um Hmm. Oh, I saw a beautiful um, Ford Bronco uh, at a car show a couple of years ago, nice. which the guy, I got talking to the owner and he had literally restored it and been doing work on it. And it was just absolutely mint, beautiful thing from obviously one of those 80s Bronco with lots of chrome and stuff. And right. um, so, yeah, there's there's definitely a market for it and people are buying more of them and, and literally um, putting them on club plates because, you know, they want to appreciate them and, and they want to drive them, but you know they want to keep mm. this this history alive. Yeah, my That's my awesome. gold Land Cruiser is an HZ1 Troopy, like a seventy series, and we're getting really really close to getting some good ones. Yeah, nice coming available. They're an yeah, interesting man. car to drive. I've driven the current gen Troopy, um, and yeah, it's 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 an absolutely brilliant car it's so cool but it's weird to see that the technology uh, has had to come catch up with you know you know having things like you know abs and and proper airbags right. and all that sort of stuff but yeah they're, they're brilliant. is that car. still on sale are yeah. they still being so they are so that's oh, yeah. on sale concurrent with the ninety thousand dollar 200 that we have here correct which park them next to each other and it's like how in the fuck is this coming out of the same company? But that rate, but that range is massive. That LC range, uh, the LC seventy range, is huge. Mm-hmm. There's so many different variants. There's a two door uh, Ute. There's a four door Ute. There's um, I don't know what you call them. If, if, if you want to translate what a Ute is, <laughs> well, pickup. The the double cab pickup is what it is yeah. basically. So and it's, it's two, that's two like a pickup, holy grail car. Four door pickup, uh, a four door wagon. The troop carrier, and then uh, what am I missing? I think there's five. I was lucky enough to be on a shoot when we they, they updated the last range a couple of years ago and drove all of them, drove them off road, and mm-hmm. that was so so much fun. Just such That's a, pretty amazing cool. car and quite capable. Like we were driving the single cab uh, car up a up a hill, and you could literally park it on the hill, and it would just idle up and away you went and it was yeah it was pretty cool uh, a friend of that mine in, cool. in melbourne has just bought the wagon um he posted a photo online it's like oh which one did you buy because you know i could only see the front of it and he sent a picture of the, of the wagon it's like yeah really nice choice um pretty awesome. do they, they don't still make the two-door short version anymore or is that just a prado now uh no they only the prado um no the, that's pajero they made a two-door Pajero? No, not Toyota. Uh, they have... Uh, gosh, where did I... I just scrolled past it. It's the two-door, and it's it's like basically a two-door shorter wagon. Um, no, I don't think so. I think they're... The, 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 what would they bring in here are only the two, the two pickups, um, the wagon and the troop carrier. Oh, God. I clicked on Toyota Australia's website, and it came up with the CHR... <laughs> no <laughs> no thank you it's very yes, interesting though that they have the coaster 
and like the full length high ace cargo vans. That high ace is so much standard fun to drive. website. Yeah. Oh, the high ace is big. Neat. It's big business now that the new high ace is here. Um, it's brilliant. Like uh, I've driven the V6 version of it, and that's just an absolute weapon. And they do like a uh, they do a long, a super long wheel, a wheel, a long wheel base, a super long wheel base, and then they do a couple of different versions um, of them. Um, and they're cool. And then they now do they now do Granvia, which is the passenger version of it as well. So Toyota's mm-hmm. range is is massive in terms of what they do. Um, I assist a lot. And did you drive that on a shoot? Yeah. Okay, yeah. so that kind of answers one of our other questions, which is when you go on these shoots, what's the frequency and reality of driving what you're shooting? A fair bit. Like, I, I probably drive more stuff these days when I'm working as an assistant because I'm driving and basically being photographed and filmed by the crew. So there's more stuff, like all the RAV4 stuff here in Australia. Um any of the Aussie pictures, as you can clearly see that it's me driving. Um, <laughs> and that was, a lot awesome. of, that was a lot of fun. So I think, I don't know, the RAV over there is the 4x4 version or the one that has all the 4x4 off-road. Is that called the Edge over there in the RAV? Adventure. Adventure. We have a RAV4 Adventure. Okay, so that's called the Edge here. And that thing, <laughs> for what it is, is so capable off-road. Um, yeah they do okay when we were photographing it we took it off i found this spot out out of melbourne and we had to get it over some humps to get it in and the photographer and i were trying to you know get it in over these bumps but parking it on the hill and then driving up the hill and like it was so capable it's such a brilliant mm-hmm. car um so that was a lot of fun and as i talked about before about lc uh that shoot that was great driving off road and things like that um but you know chris will love this but i've been driven the, the latest <laughs> lc 200 from when it was launched in the in this current gen uh, i got to drive that at a test track and and throw it around to to get the shots right and stuff like that um and that was absolutely brilliant um off-road or on-road test track off-road that's then, the best and then yeah i love <laughs> that thing um and then we did a every year they do a a, a group like a family shot of all the shots of all the cars that they that they build or that they make um all the range they sell in australia and i got to play not really you know fast or anything like that but literally just playing shuttle driver in a 200 series with guys back and forth to drop cars off and yeah i love that thing uh it's so cool and then also the um the pajero is also not pajero the um oh mental blank the <laughs> mid-range um toyota suv prado so the prado Prada. is also really really nice they had it we had i drove a kakadu edition the other week which is a, a higher level spec thing and that thing's just brilliant so capable and so much fun but then you know we have kluger and stuff like that as well and that thing's brilliant um it's a highlander right yeah correct you you have you have highlander and we have kluger um but yeah like some of this stuff is great to drive um uh, what else have I done recently? Um, See, I'm I'm not really jealous of that much 200 series, but the Grand Via and the I want I want a Grand Ace. Like I want the giant. Yeah, Grand Ace is rad. Eight, I want four by two captain's chairs. Yeah, can put everybody in it. Well, the Grand Via they do here, they do <clears throat> so two in the front, 
two and two captain's chairs in the second row, and then they do a third row with three seats. Um, and that thing's just brilliant. So much fun to drive, and it's it's a, such a nice looking thing. It's just really nicely finished. The capstan chairs are really comfy to sit in, and they like they roll way back, and you can literally kick kick yourself out, <laughs> and like it's a full luxury barge. Not quite as nice as an LC uh, LS five hundred. That is just another level in terms of the stuff. Few things um, are, yeah. But uh, that 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 was a cool cool thing to drive again. If you look at some of the photos from that, um, there's pictures of me pretending to be a effectively an Uber driver in suit. <laughs> picking people up and stuff like that so um yeah, funny. so there are you know <laughs> i get to sometimes be player model but a lot of the time it's me driving behind the wheels so um mm. but probably the best one and it covers onto your sort of next question about four by four experiences was when they launched the special edition hiluxes um they did um so they've done a, a rugged a rugged x and then a Rogue, mm. which were three different trim levels of the Hilux that were built here uh, locally in Oz. Um, when we did the um, shoot for that, when they launched it, have you ever seen the Tonka Hilux that they made? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they, we had that. I map. haven't. We had that at the shoot. You need to Google it, Chris. And have I am about it. to. It's, oh, it's, it's an awesome thing. It was built as a... Um, uh, it was built as we a, had a Tonka F. Was it a Tonka or was it, it was, Caterpillar? It was a Forerunner. No, we had a Tonka Forerunner fifty. At one point, that was on sale. Oh, this is. <laughs> Don't look up the Tonka Forerunner; it'll make you sad. Look Wait, up the Tonka Hilux. The Tonka Hilux is. Pretty cool, actually. Yeah. So we had. We, yeah, don't look up the Forerunner version. The Forerunner is like a SEMA abomination. Oh, dude, you know, as soon as you say that, that means look it up. <laughs> but this thing. Oh, is... no. <laughs> no, no. Oh, I need to join this now. <laughs> um, but yeah, that Tonka thing was brilliant. We had it at a shoot um, and it was such a cool. Um, cool thing like it just sounded amazing with all the light bars and everything like that on it uh it was just brilliant so that was that was a cool thing to to have and then um but yeah the best thing was the um oh yeah you're right that <laughs> so it looks like it should be at SEMA. um the yeah when we did the hilux shoot we took it we went out into the country right out and actually camped overnight to get some shots and rocked up at this location and it was um fogged in and we thought oh this is going to be a nightmare so we literally slept in the cars overnight got up the next morning and there was not a cloud in the sky perfect sunrise pictures were amazing photographer and the video guy were wrapped um but that was a lot of fun quite hard to get to in terms of driving and stuff like that but worth every every bit of mud and whatever else that we came across just for the shots that the guys got in the end were was so good um but yeah, that was probably the funnest four x four experience I reckon I've ever had. Um, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. It was. It was pretty cool. Um, and I learned a lot that trip, and um, I've kind of excited to go and to sort of do more of that sort of stuff now. And um, I've got a couple of mates here. One guy who's putting, he's building a Hilux and putting honda engine in it i think from memory um i think that's going to be more a roadie but he's got an awesome off-road 
Hilux that he's built, which is pretty cool. But he goes four by fouring all the time, and I keep saying to him, mm. "You've got to call me. You got to let me know. I got to come. I got to take the drone. I can shoot some stuff. I need to shoot <laughs> some stills and whatever else. You need to, you know, to tell me when you're going next." And he went. He went. Must I think must have been earlier this year. I think he went, and it's like I was looking at the stuff later and going, oh, "I've got to hit him up and say, you've got to get me to come <laughs> along. It looks like so much fun." So yeah, you um, want to join on that? For sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'm keen to really do do more with that. Um, but uh, moving on to the to the next two, you don't mind me jumping ahead and, 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 and <laughs> no, you're good. No, that's okay. So the, the next two actually join together. So um, the worst four by four experience plus Fraser Island. Um, <laughs> Fraser. So you have been. I have been there. So that, to answer your question, I have been to Fraser. Fraser is amazing. Uh, definitely worth visiting. The the beach. To get there, it's it's a challenge. You have to drive through um, sand and stuff like that. Um, we went four by four. We went driving to Fraser, um, probably when we didn't know as much as that we probably should. Um, mm. Tire pressure being one of them, and oh we got bogged on the beach going to. Nice. Um, luckily, you know, it was one of those things that you learn from, and we had people pull us out. Um, but it was it was an interesting experience. Um, but that leads to because the spot that you go to Fraser or near where you go to Fraser is called Inskip Point. <laughs> if you ever want to kill, I don't know, maybe an hour or two, check out the Facebook page. <laughs> I got bogged at Inskip Point. It's amazing. <laughs> There's so much good content on there of guys just getting bogged and cars getting stuck. And uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's pretty amazing to see what happens there but you literally have to drive through Inskip Point to get onto the ferry and then the ferry mm. takes you to Fraser um, but it's absolutely magical um, the freshwater lake in the centre of Fraser is absolutely brilliant um, so nice to swim in um, it's a lot of sand and stuff sand tracks and stuff like that so obviously you know tyre pressures are pretty mm-hmm. pretty crucial in terms of what you have everything at but um and because there's not a lot of other really sand driving that you can do, so Queensland's quite big for it. Some of New South Wales you can do a little bit of it, but yeah, Queensland is uh, is quite big because of all the beaches and stuff up there. And and um, there's a couple of different islands up there that are cool for driving on. But yeah, I'd uh, I'd be keen to go back uh, and do it again because it's a, it's a pretty amazing spot. It looks it looks beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, generally, if I'm looking at 4 by 4 stuff in Australia, it's always around that area. Yeah, Queensland's big for it, and there's a lot of guys that are um, that are right into it and have all the gear and, and stuff. And, yeah, it's you, some of the stuff that you post you see around Christmas is just the, the queues and the, the, the wait to jump on one of the ferries to get across to Fraser or come back from Fraser is at around Christmas time and stuff like that or any of the long weekends or holidays is always really, really busy. But yeah, it's pretty mm. amazing. It also seems to be about the time we see issues with like high tide, low tide. Yeah, that's when oh, you see God. a lot of cars getting stuck and um, getting left and getting wrecked and guys just not understanding and watching tides and um, mm. or just getting stuck and there's nothing you can do. You can't get out um, or people can't get to them in time and so the cars are just being left there and oh. just being destroyed. On that inskip point, there's a... Eaten up by the salt. Yeah. Yeah, and that's the thing. Once they're literally sort of stuck and left there overnight, they get pounded. Um, and it's you, you don't realise just how 
rough that surf can be until you see cars that were abandoned at night time and they go back the next day and they've just been absolutely pounded to submission and there's nothing left of them well this facebook page is amazing yeah let the record show <laughs> i told you we'll put a link at the bottom yeah it's it's and there's a couple of other sort of other versions of them around but it's yeah it's pretty amazing to see stuff um oh shit <laughs> great radio ross yeah. sorry no i mean there's joel's not joking there's vehicles that are completely deconstructed after having been stuck in the surf overnight so yeah it's uh it's 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 a what it's a wild place if, if it goes wrong for you but otherwise it's um it's 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 like a highway like when the tide is out the beaches up there are just miles wide um and there's an etiquette to follow and stuff like that um but you know, love guys love going there and camping, and and it's it's just an amazing place. There's, yeah, it it's pretty special. Very cool. I like any place that'll take away my cell phone signal. <laughs> Too much. Far enough north, I think you'll probably lose it altogether. Sounds good. I'm okay with that. Yeah, same. So hold on, uh, real fast. This I haven't written this question down. What do you call the north part of Australia? Uh, north Queensland. No, no, like the slang term. We have the deep south. You guys have it. What do you call it? Uh, up north. I heard someone call it the top end. Oh, the top end. Yeah, the top top end probably. Ref- <laughs> yeah, the top end probably refers. Depending on who you speak to, but I would say top end would probably be yeah the the Darwin, uh, the north top the top part of WA and uh, North Queensland kind of gets its own thing. It's North Queensland or far North Queensland, which is right at the top mm-hmm. of, of that area up there. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, the top end is probably another way to to say. It. I think it kind of refers a little bit to to top part of Northern Territory and stuff like that. Dude, uh, one of the supercars opened forever ago when I was watching supercars uh, torrented from the internet. Uh, the guy literally opened the show just by saying "Welcome to the top end," yeah. and I've never been able to forget that. <laughs> that that's uh, that's Darwin. Yeah, so that'd be for Hidden Valley and the race they have up there. Okay. And Hidden Valley always looks like it's really dry. Oh yeah, well it's well it's it's right in the middle of the Northern Territory, and I think at the mm. time of year, it's full desert. Uh no, because it's just outside of Darwin, and so the desert and that is sort of south from there. Um, uh, but yeah, it's it is once you get out of uh, it's the only state of Australia I've never been to. But once you get out of there, um, you literally you know hit desert, not far out of it, I believe. So yeah, it was great. Mm. So. I like that one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> All, right. All right. Man, we're uh, we're running long. <laughs> Are you tired? Yeah. Yet? Sorry if I'm fading a little. <laughs> <laughs> well, we we can go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, my my other questions about like off road trailers that I have on there. Just I keep seeing pictures of them, and I don't. I know one guy who runs a trailer with like a rooftop tent on the top of it, but like I haven't found anybody yet who runs like a teardrop or something like that. And so I just kind of, that's my, my call out into the world. If you know somebody who has an off-road trailer, I want to talk to I've them. worked a lot. I've worked for a couple of, uh, a client of mine in Queensland works for um, some of the off-road trailers and they're amazing. They're so impressive, the the setup of them. And you can build them to whatever spec that you want. You know, they're really well laid out and you see them all the time. So um, the grey nomads, as we call them, which are the retirees that have literally decided <laughs> to 
they spend six months of the year traveling. So they'll buy a, oh, uh, a Pajero or a Land Cruiser or any of those larger SUVs and they'll buy one of these off-road camper trailers and they'll literally spend six months traveling between whatever state they're from, be it from the south and heading to, to the north or, you know, and you'll see them literally all over the place and that's what they do and that that's the market that these guys appeal to is that or even for families that, that love camping and want to travel, um, but they're so well built and laid out that the market is massive for them and there's a couple mm-hmm. of companies that do quite a lot with them um i live in uh not far from where the boat leaves from um, melbourne to go across to tasmania and you see them parked on the side of the road before the boat's due to load up and there's just miles of them all these parked cars parked with all these different number plates from different states around australia and yeah it's it's really really popular that off-road vehicle market is um, is, is huge uh, and mm. there's people that just spend spend six you know even 12 months traveling that's the dream well it's really interesting to see like I know like we see overlanding as like a trend here but like I don't think it's just a statewide trend like I think it's a global trend of people just literally wanting to get away yeah <laughs> right and right. people do it because like you know Melbourne and, and Tasmania or Victoria and Tasmania are the two and probably even the ACT to a certain degree are the three probably coldest states. Um, so in winter, people will pack up and head to head north or to head to the warmth, head to Queensland mm-hmm. and spend a few months traveling up and down uh, the coast, you know, enjoying the heat and getting away from the, the cold and, you know, packing up their house and, and literally living out of the, the truck for, for a few mm-hmm. months. Yeah, I joke with my wife all the time about like when we get older and retire, we're just going to chase the sunlight during the winter we're headed south during the summer we're heading yep. north yeah. there's more sunlight yeah, you, exactly. uh, have you have you seen endless summer the surf movie surf documentary yeah oh yeah it's a dream it's a dream Just also chasing waves we call those people snowbirds here <laughs> I, I spent my years in florida i know how to hate them yep <laughs> you have any experience <laughs> yeah welcome to florida now go home Pretty much. do you love me some florida though be there next week nice so speaking of the opposite of warm weather i was thinking of going riding on the atvs this weekend that is postponed indefinitely negative supposed to be like in the negative fahrenheit ish range (laughs) so which is like deep and negative celsius yes probably not the warmest weather to be doing that no it's basically a recipe to be outside for only a couple hours and still end up getting very sick so i'm gonna take a flyer on that and just hold off until the weather's better yeah (laughs) oh man so we do have a quick off-road tip that chris wanted to touch on briefly and that discusses ditch or crevice crossing. Sorry, my uh, laptop was about to die. So <laughs> <laughs> nice save. <laughs> I, had to, I had to jump for the power cord real fast. Luckily, I was near a plug. Nice save. Uh, yeah, so my off-road tip this week is about uh, when you're headed at a, a ditch or a crevice, not just going perpendicular to the gap, but actually angling diagonally across it. Uh, effectively, hopefully, as you're going across, it's not too big a gap. You should only have one wheel 
like either in the air or in the space at a time, allowing you to keep either the two at the front or the two at the back together. Since most vehicles have uh, open diffs, they don't. We don't all have lockers, so you want to keep two together down, so you can keep going forward, and you're not sitting there high centered, or not really high centered, but with a wheel in the air at the front and a wheel there at the back. Those are the two that are going to be spinning. Mm-hmm. So keeping two at the back on the ground or two in the front on the ground to at least get you across the mm-hmm. space. Yep, maximize traction. Sweet. Good tip. Yep. It is a good tip. Yeah, I think when I first got my 04 Wrangler, I actually had a guy sit down and talk to me about, like, yes, you have four-wheel drive, but in reality, you have two-wheel drive. <laughs> one in the front and one in the rear. <laughs> right, right. Without a locker, it is only one-wheel drive. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up now. Yep. Please rate and review us on iTunes, like we asked last week, because, you know, that way more people can find us. Uh, you can follow all of our stuff on Hooniverse. <laughs> At some point, we all have written something there, or will be. <laughs> uh, the Hooniverse on Twitter, the real Hooniverse on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Overlanding Dad on Twitter and Hooniverse. I'm still no, not like one from friends on Instagram. <laughs> and where and, can we follow Joel? And I'm at Joel Strick Photo uh, on everything. So I just kept it simple so you can find me everywhere. <laughs> See, he did it better yeah. than us. He has it the same on everything. Seriously. Still, still makes me laugh, though, every time I have post something on Instagram and I get like, uh, no, not like the one from Friends, just like your post. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry about that. No, I, I have apologize. To I always know who it is because, you know, some people have eclectic handles and usernames and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I always know, um, you know. Uh, any any of the universe guys it's pretty easy to, to know who everyone is it's like you know that's I know who it is it's liking my stuff so yep my favorite part is when it's Thursday and I'll be like halfway through my day at work Joel will be posting hey I'm headed to the weekend yeah oh. <laughs> like I'm still a day and a half away bud like <laughs> seriously I was, if we're like barely making it through the first half of the week right here <laughs> Joel's like thinking about Friday yeah, he's wrapping it up, and we're barely, we're hump day. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, but then it's worse <laughs> if you want to watch sport. Like, that's yeah, good. I'm, a, I'm an NBA fan, so the times work well mm-hmm. for watching the games, but anything motorsport-related is always a challenge to watch. I've got a mate competing in global time attack uh, next week in the U.S., and cool. so to follow him, it'll be probably some wee-ass stuff, I think, to, to keep an eye on what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well... Formula One round one should be good for you. I mean, yeah, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Every race after that's downhill. Uh, Brazil's the worst for us. I think Brazil's like a three a.m. and I think uh, I think that's that's the worst. I think in terms of our time, that's pretty bad. Brazil and Mexico, I think, are the worst too. F one Mexico uh, is literally my time zone. (laughs) Perfect for you. Not bad for me either. But F one news starts. We get the big reveals i think a week ish from now i think red bull is the 12th ferrari is the 11th for their you know launch parties yeah they're not too far away i do have so, to watch um no. rick danny danny rick was on um uh oh trevor he was noah on ellen oh trevor noah not ellen yeah, yeah i saw a quick snippet he retweeted a, a snippet the other day talking about singing in cars and stuff like that i've seen a small snippet but i need to watch the full episode so i'm waiting for it to appear on yeah. tv here so He's the best. He is. He's a legend. Yep. 
So, well, thanks for joining us, Joel. We'll have to have you on again. And if not before your 4x4 purchase, then absolutely (laughs) once you take ownership. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah, Sweet. All right. Until next time. Goodbye, all.